Hey, business owners, ever wondered what happens when you take a payment? Well, there's a whole world of transactions powered by Elevon. Whether it's through currency converting, security asserting, business supporting, real-time reporting, e-com providing, or expert advising, <laughs> Elevon supports all payments for your business. To find out more, visit elevon.ie. Elevon, your world of payments. Elevon Financial Services, DAC trading as Elevon Merchant Services, is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. The Big Tech Show brought to you by Elevon. Elevon makes payment taking simple, freeing you up to focus on your business. You take on the world, they'll take care of the payments. See elevon.ie for more. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Wackler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunny Independent. And this week we're talking about election and social media. Delighted to be joined by Damien Mully, who's the founder of Mully Communications. Damien, thanks, thanks a million for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks very much. Hi, Adrian. Pleasure as always. I was going to start with the election. Um, you're a pretty savvy observer, in my view, of the interaction, the intersection between uh, social media, uh, metrics, marketing, and politics. And I've written a short piece uh, this weekend, it'll be out in Saturday's paper, just looking a little bit at what the rules or the lack of rules are around social media engagement for uh, political parties, because it's not the BAI, it's not the telecoms regulator, it's not the Irish Press Council. It's it's largely kind of a, a self-policing thing. And there are lots of examples that I've pulled out from what the, what the the companies themselves are saying. You had a really interesting post, though, on your uh, mully.ie uh, website. It was a blog post. I think it was from a year or two back, but it, it it's still very effective uh, as a read today. You called it Force Multipliers, Facebook and PR, How to Influence Everything. And one of the things I was interested in about that post was the way that you were able to... Game is the wrong word, but you, to use Facebook's ad system for, in some cases, just pennies to get your message in front of an audience or in front of TDs? Yeah, it's, um, I guess, if, if you look at it this way, look at how many people follow Do Donald Trump and look at how many people Donald Trump follows on Twitter. Mm. And that small, I think it's about 40 people or 40 accounts he follows, they have strong influence on Donald Trump as a result. Um, and with social media, and with the ability to target via, say, mobile phone or email address or specific interest, say, like job title, for uh, pennies on the pound, you can reach hundreds of people that are maybe stakeholders or decision makers. Mm. So you can run ads that maybe cost three or four euros. And one of the examples I gave was um, I was able to get the, the numbers of the mobile numbers of special advisors to government ministers. Mm. And I ran an ad and that got in front of about 40 of those people. And the ad, I think, cost me less than a euro. And it was just a test about an article, a positive article, I think, about about Ireland. But it got a couple of clicks as a result. So you're getting into the, their timeline really, really cheaply. Mm -hmm. And more sinister organizations that, that work on propaganda, what they do is they create fake pages and fake news pages um, from organizations. And they can say that the public is really interested in this issue. The public's really interested. And you've got all these articles coming into your timeline over the space of a couple of days. And all of a sudden you're going, did you hear about this issue? I'm seeing it everywhere. I'm seeing it in all these news sites. They're talking about it. It's an issue. Maybe we should do something about it. Mm. So it's it's a it's a it, it it's a very sinister way in in a way of of manipulating people that have the ability to make proper decisions. I mean, and what's 
interesting as well is the way that you did it is absolutely above board. This is the system. This is the ad system that we have now. But for a lot of people looking at this, even in 2020, this would seem still seem almost like dark arts. There's still really a lack of appreciation or knowledge about exactly how online ad works. You, you kind of take us through... Um, almost a step-by-step of what you did and how you did it. You've, you've done it a few times in, in a few blog posts. It's, it's very, very um, interesting. Um, but And we've talked before about the kind of information that you can access and the kind of feedback you get in terms of reach demographics. Um, that's that's still all there, isn't it? It is. So they've, they've, they're talking about the, the, the next American presidential election and that they want, campaigners want Facebook to drop micro-targeting. So you can't target just a neighborhood or just a very small amount of people that have certain job titles. Or like it, with, with the Facebook targeting system in America, you can target people by how much money they have in their bank account or what their credit rating is. Incredible. And so, mm. so you can go after people in very, very poor neighborhoods and you can say Donald Trump is already making people richer. Um, whoever the, 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 the person with the Democrats is going to make you poor. Mm. And that, that influences people. Um, Dominic Cummings, for, for when he was running the, the Brexit campaign, they went after uh, poor neighbourhoods across the UK. And again, they were doing things around micro-targeting where they, they went after working-class areas who had nothing. But the NHS was the most important thing to them. Uh, you know, despite having nothing, mm. the NHS was there backing them up. And they just ran very cheap campaigns saying, yeah, if you know Brexit is going to save the NHS, the EU is taking money from the NHS. You're going to get sick, and you need the NHS. Mm. And that's what people—that's what people voted for. It was to save the NHS. So, mm. and it hasn't been proven, but they said during the the last American presidential election that they targeted black neighborhoods and put up videos about Hillary Clinton, um, telling telling black people to know their place. A video from 25 years back. But it it swung those to it like by a tiny percentage, and it wasn't about getting Trump more votes. It was about getting people to stay at home, going, "Look, they're both the same. I'm not going to bother turning out." I mean, and, it's, and it, that's what happened. It's it's kind of fascinating. I do sometimes wonder what the similar issues or touch points would be in this election. It's it's, it's kind of harder to pinpoint because we do have a different type of electoral setup here in terms of what the issues are. We would we arguably don't have the same degree quite of class difference, certainly as the UK and arguably the US as well. But yet the point that you're the point that's coming across from what you're saying here is that, you know, the the really cunning marketers can see can try and guess which demographics will fall prey most easily to to this kind of approach. Yeah, um, like we're lucky in a way that we have proportional representation here. So I think you can't do it as much in Ireland as, say, the UK, which is mm. first past the post, and, and America is about a number of votes, really. But, um, yeah, it's about, again, going after, like, maybe certain areas where someone is, like, is 50-50 at getting their seat or the last seat in the, the constituency. And you can do some subtle advertising again. And a lot of people don't see the difference between an ad and uh, just a status update from a news organization because mm-hmm. you can just pretend you are a news organization. So, you know, you can say um, mm-hmm. uh, Dunleary News might mm-hmm. be an actual organization and you're putting stuff in subtly over time. And like 
we're talking there about social media and not influencing or having a strong influence. But what you do is you can target certain people and then they'll go offline and mm. their friends going, did you hear about this thing happening? Did you hear about this? Mm. And then that's how it spreads that way. And that has stronger influence, I think. I've always had uh, a divided view on that exact point. Like you say, well, you know, you can position yourself as the Dunleary News, for example. I remember debating with... Um, Jimmy Wales, sorry to name drop, but <laughs> Wikipedia, I was debating on it because he felt very strongly that the the tech companies and the social networks in particular had a much stronger duty of care to make sure that people couldn't pose as made-up news organisations. And while taking that point, I've always thought that there still should be some part of you, some part of your, um, your grown-up self that has some, even a small responsibility to be able to um, get involved enough to be able to tell a fake news organization from a real one. Now, I, I know that that's probably not a majority position, but um, th- th- it, it does sort of, I mean, when, when you see headlines in the, US, in the last U.S. election, like Pope endorses Donald Trump, part of you is thinking, well, that's disgraceful that the system lets that get through. Part of you is thinking, who the hell believed that, you know? Yeah, um, no, I know. I I kind of agree with you. I, like we probably need so- stronger civics lessons in school and and after school as as grown ups, and we need to to question things a little bit more, or see what motivations are behind why certain people are saying things or rumors are being spread, mm. and to just question things a little bit more. And if you think about it, um, with kind of the the, the anti vax stuff going around mm. and you know say anti wind energy issues happening mm. people are told something and they want to believe it and they latch onto it and then it kind of spreads like that um they just see something and they go yeah this 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 fits what I believe in or what I I believe against mm. um and people take it up and I think we need to question it more and it's 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 very good for society if we are in a way, we have a, a healthy level of cynicism about mm. things and going, hang on, okay, that's the headline, but let's read into this a little bit more. And I think the fast takes nowadays, we're being trained to just take the fast take, spread it, move on, where I f- the next one. Where I find sometimes, even as much or more than the threat of fake news organizations, are what you might describe as fringe or slightly marginalized academics, like tenured professors or maybe not, maybe you know, professors, quote unquote, um, who weigh in on topics like 5G, like as you were making your last point, it did occur to me, I've done a lot in the last year on the issue of 5G and, you know, sort of fairly consistent pockets of concern around the country about whether this will, you know, hurt our health, whether it'll give our kids cancer. Now, I've done a lot of reporting on this, the vast, vast majority of the evidence and the empirical stuff that I've seen suggests that it, it's not really that different to 4G or 3G, that there may be uh, um, a very, very mild carcinogenic somewhere in there, but not at an elevated level, certainly not on the level that uh, you might uh, read uh, online. And yet you will have community meetings and councillors will be sort of lulled into this. I, I, I shouldn't say lulled because that is a bit pejorative. I, I mean, there is... What I'm, the point I'm trying to make here is that um, as much as, say, made-up news sites or news organizations, there is an ability for issues which I would regard as being maybe not completely genuine to to make it through those filters. 
Yeah, there, there's there's facilitation, definitely. Sorry, as you were saying this, I'm, I was thinking about myself and yourself are going to be getting lots of emails about that topic, aren't we? Oh, I already um, get them. It's fine. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think for, for, again, for some politicians, they see this as potential votes, that it's mm. it's maybe a group of people that are being ignored or um, being ignored because of their opinions, and mm. they'll, they'll facilitate that, and they'll, they'll have those meetings. Um, there was a really good of a sorry. vote, and I don't think they believe it themselves. Yeah, I, or, or at least they're agnostic on it, but they just want to be seen to be representing the concerns of the constituents. And to, look, to be fair, I, it is easy to be cynical. But I did attend some of these meetings, and most of the people I spoke to were genuine enough in their concern. It wasn't that they were being that they were bonkers or that they were being utterly cynical. So it, you know, you do have to sort of allow a bit for that. But other than just actually putting up fake news sites, there was a really good piece in the Guardian recently about the Taiwan election and and the issues they had to deal with there there with large groups almost armies of trolls and the way they were doing it was much more subtle rather than just putting up you know fake pictures or videos or or deep fakes they were doing things like you know leaving thousands of comments under a candidate's post or a news article to try and shift the focus of a debate um or or like subliminal stuff like like repeatedly searching for a candidate's name uh, to try and influence the search yes. algorithm. Yeah, I was um, I was just playing around with um, the Irish Independent website and mm-hmm. the Irish Times website a while back with a, a kind of a like a web scraper, just requesting pages again and again and again from say five years back to see could it get into the most read article of of the day. With mm-hmm. the whole idea, if it becomes the most read article, it'll get read by more people because it's in that little box. And then even the newspaper themselves might report going this from. 10 years back is is very very popular today and they start rehashing that story again so there's there's elements like that you mentioned jimmy wales as well mm. manipulating wikipedia in very subtle ways can be can be easily done you can add stuff to a wikipedia entry people quote that i mean wikipedia entries on any topic pretty much are coming in in the, the like the top five results sometimes at the first result mm. and so while Journalists are told you should be copying Wikipedia. People that are in academia are told not to, to, to copy from Wikipedia. It does influence. So mm-hmm. subtle changes to a Wikipedia page over time can, again, influence other people that have influence. So it's kind of secondary or tertiary, but it, it can be done as well. You, you gave a good concrete example of that, if I remember correctly, in the blog post that I referred to at the beginning, Force Multipliers, Facebook and Pure. I think the example you used was where somebody put up a blog, then that was used as just about enough evidence to be able to edit or change a Wikipedia page, then a mainstream media went in when they were researching a topic, saw the Wikipedia page, referred to this um, because they saw it in Wikipedia, and then the original blog post is deleted. So job done. And then when you blog about it again, you can can now say, as reported in the New York Times or the Irish Times or the Irish Independent, because that piece of information has gone through its journey. Yes, yeah, that was in the, the book, uh, Trust Me, I'm Lying. Mm. And yeah, that's that's exactly how you can do stuff. You can, like, again, get get someone to do you a favor on a blog, say a, a tech blog. They write, write about your company saying that your, your company was sold for 10 million when that was never the case. Mm. Um, but then someone goes searching, you send out a press release, journalist looks you up going, who's this person, never heard of them, see some results coming back, see this blog post about you. And they might reference that blog post, but they write about you then in, say, an online publication um, for mm-hmm. a respected organization. And then someone then later on, that gets into the Wikipedia entry. And then someone later on from like a very large organization, say the New York Times, they do searches. They see this respected 
online publication writing about mm. you and they take the information from there and then you the person that starts all this go you go back into the wikipedia entry delete all the the references to the blog post mm. put in the new york times and then for the next couple of years people are quoting you from wikipedia in all these uh, newspapers and all these media organizations mm. i've i believe it or not i've actually seen that in action uh, over the years when researching a topic and it's always weird how it always seems to go back to one wikipedia entry or one blog post and sometimes even a tweet and the, the the ball will start rolling and it makes it as far well into you know what's called the mainstream media just to go back to facebook for a second though so yeah. facebook does it is trying to do something on this so it it has put uh, into effect some rules for elections um i was onto them and they came back to me with a fairly long list of things they say they're doing um including by the way a fact-checking partnership, which I'd forgotten about, that they have with apparently with the journal, the journal.ie, on videos and photos. Now, I actually haven't seen any of the, the results of that. I have asked whether uh, they're there. I'm sure they have been working on it. But ha- have you seen any of that by any chance? Um, I've I've seen one or two things say around Russia Today, which okay. says this is a state-sponsored organization, but right. it doesn't say anything more than that. Mm-hmm. Or I've seen one or two bits saying this is in dispute, mm-hmm. but. All of this fact checking, it doesn't stop the information from going into your timeline and say, especially videos, the videos aren't marked when you're watching going, this mm. this, this, isn't quite true or there are issues with this video. So you're watching the video and if, mm. you, want, if you want to research it, you'll see that information. Um, like they, there are all these rules and regulations now for taking up political ads. And say, for example, we talked to wind, or I mentioned wind energy earlier. The, the wind, organi- wind energy organizations in Ireland, when they're doing stuff around climate change, they have to mark their updates, their ads as being political mm. because it's, it's, it, it's classed as being a, a political issue, a lobbying issue. Um, but for all these uh, fake news pages that I mentioned before that say a politician did this and that, you don't have to mark those as being uh, political. So you're not stopped. I, I do know that when you take out some ads, say like job ads, it says this looks like a job ad. Uh, you can't you can't discriminate based on age or gender on this. Mm-hmm. And I think for some things that if they have the proper trigger words in the ad, it says, "Is this a political ad?" You need to mention that this is a political ad. So they are there, but you can. It's it's a it's a very um, how would I say porous bunch of rules. Yeah, I and mean you you can get around them. Facebook's concrete measures that it, it claims it, it has brought in these uh, a few things where it says for example number one uh, anybody who wants to run political ads must go through what it calls a verification process to prove who they are and that they live in, in ireland um yeah. number two every political ad is labeled so you can see who's paid for them um number three and stop me by the way if any of these s- strike you as being uh, overly porous number three anybody can click on an ad they see on facebook and get more information on why they're seeing as well as choose to block ads number four we put them in an ad library so that everyone can see what ads are running what types of people saw them and how much was spent not just while the ads are live but for seven years afterwards um so these are around political ads 
the the information is there, but um, if you see a political ad, it just says uh, there's your ad, and you get to see that. Mm. Um, and if you want more information, say if you're looking on your phone or on the desktop, there's triple dots, and you can see how the, the ad was targeted. Mm-hmm. But actually, to to see the proper information, you have to go onto the page mm. on on Facebook. Down on the right hand side, way down on the page, there's a transparency link. And you have to click on that and you click on a couple of other options and eventually you get to see the ads that they're running, how much they've spent and who they're targeting, which is quite interesting that you can see how they're trying to target people. And, mm-hmm. you know, are they targeting by job function again or area that they're living in? But so it is there. But for I think for a general user, they're not going to see this probably as an ad, uh, let alone a political ad where they mm-hmm. can get information on it. So, again, the tools are there, but they're they're not regulating them uh, as such and mm. they obviously don't want to do that because they're making plenty of money from this but well, they're, they're not just they're on not that point to... just on that point because mark zuckerberg did talk about this obviously there's been there's been a lot of comment on on this issue and he's and facebook has been under a lot of flack on it kind of as a proxy for most of the social media companies because facebook is by far the biggest and we'll we'll come to the figures now uh, in 2 minutes but um he gave a speech in october at Georgetown University, I'm going to just quote him here. Um, he said, given the sensitivity around political ads, I've considered whether we should stop allowing them altogether. From a business perspective, he claims, the controversy certainly isn't worth the small part of our business they make up. But political ads are an important part of voice, especially for local candidates, upcoming challengers and advocacy groups that may not get much media attention otherwise than banning them favours incumbents and whoever the media covers. And he goes on to say, even if we wanted to ban political ads, and this is to your point, it's not clear where we draw the line. There are many more ads about issues than there are directly about elections. So would we ban all ads about healthcare or immigration or women's empowerment? If we banned candidates' ads, but not these, would that really make sense to give everyone else a voice in political debates except the candidates themselves? And then he wraps up by saying, you know, there are issues anyway you cut this. And when it's not absolutely clear what to do, I believe we should err on the side of greater expression. Do you think that's sincere or do you think that's a kind of a, just a get out, a cop out? I, I, I think it is a cop-out, and I think what he's saying there is this is this is going to be too much work. This is very, very hard for us to police. And it, it does have to be policed, I think, mm. by by something other than an algorithm. Um, so Some humans. I, I've seen the stats that they use, and they keep on saying only this amount of money was spent on political ads. But again, they're looking at political organizations that are known as being political that are spending the money. So with the last Brexit campaign, I think it was the, that that young guy, Darren Grimes, the 18-year-old, that mm. was given a couple of hundred grand to spend ads for the, the Brexit campaign. That wouldn't have been classed as a, a political ads because he wasn't a, a political organisation. I think those issues that, you know, they, 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 they didn't sign up to uh, being a political organisation, all of this stuff. So there is other money coming in um, besides from political organisations. But even... Irish parties do that in that, you know, you can only contribute so much to a party, but you can you can contribute money to the local organisation and then you can uh, contribute money to the, the, the local politician as well. Mm. So there are other ways of getting money into an organisation. I mean, the other point that Facebook makes, they made to me anyway, when I got onto them about this, was um, that Irish electoral law is just too vague on a lot of these issues, that they're kind of being backed into making up these guidelines, but it would be really helpful 
if there were if there was anything more specific because you know i mean as i said at the beginning it's not the bai they don't really take that much of an interest although they may do in in uh, a few months if they get the additional powers they're looking for it's not the telecoms regulator comreg definitely not them yeah not the irish press council the press ombudsman um do they do they have a point there they, i actually do think uh, that there's a point to be made there um and even if you look at it where um the, the day before the, the election, there's um, an embargo or whatever you call it. Media organizations mm. can't be reporting. But online, there's there's no such thing. And I, I have been suggesting to people for years, like when when there is a media blackout mm. on reporting, that's when you should drop stuff online and get mm. controversies out or even like, you know, very, very twisted facts. Mm. Get it out and bombard social media with ads or just with, with posts. And that might change people's minds, it, it, you know, just before voting opens up. So, Jesus, like, you're setting yourself up, Damien, for a nice gig with somebody here. <laughs> you clearly I, I've, already, I've, I've already said no to, 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 to a crowd um, that wanted that. Um, yeah. Do so, you... yeah, but I, I, I guess I'm disclosing this, and I'm sure there's plenty that are not disclosing mm-hmm. this and are probably using that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're lucky, I think, so far in Ireland that we haven't seen that kind of nastiness or maybe cynicism that we're still very old school, putting up posters on poles, mm-hmm. um, you know, going to funerals to be seen. That stuff is is still Ireland. Yeah, I was I was going to um, ask, do, do, do you think you will see any skullduggery, any of the dark arts, anything that would fall into the category of stuff that kind of we've been referring to in this podcast? Um, I don't think you'd see it from from the larger organisations. Mm. Um, that in a way they're, they're, they'd be too slow to to adopt it. But I think some say maybe far right candidates would probably use stuff like that mm. Uh, mm. definitely because um, in a way they're 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 more strategic and they're more cutthroat and they can see the the the, the end goal and they'll go for it no matter what. Mm. So I think mm. we might see stuff like that, but. Um, Otherwise, I don't think there'll be massive changes. I think there'll just be more spend on videos and vanity videos and things like that. Right. But when you see the likes of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and Labour putting up stuff in the past couple of days with the election, mm. the comments under those posts, especially on Facebook, are like are majority negative, I think. So mm. like it's, it's it's being pushed out there. I think it it's maybe just ticking boxes saying, look, we've done the video. Mm-hmm. It's out there. But I don't think that kind of stuff is going to change anyone's minds. Mm. Okay, before I let you go, um, there was a social networking tracker uh, report released by Ipsos MRBI. It does it once or twice a year. It used to do quarterly. Now I think it's moving to twice a year. Um, And the results were very interesting from that. They were very interesting to me anyway, and I'm sure they were to you because I know you you, you track fairly closely what's going on with different social media platforms. one of the most interesting ones was that TikTok has come out. This is among adults, so over 15-year-olds. TikTok has pretty much come out of nowhere. To, it's up 4% to 6% of all adults, which is, I don't know, 100,000 people or, or, or so. Yeah. Um, the, and that's on a daily basis. That's So that's, so 6% of Irish adults say that they have a TikTok account, but of those 6%, almost half say they use it every day, okay? So to put that in context, Facebook is still the monster. So Facebook is up 4%. It's up to 66%. So all of this, all of the theories that Facebook, people are getting totally turned off Facebook, 
I'm not sure looking at these figures and because the logical question after well, it's at 66%, fine, but that's just people saying they have an account. How many people are still using it? Well, according to the Ipsos MRBI tracker, it says that it's still 64% use it daily. It's down 1%, but it's still two-thirds of those who say they have an account use it daily. Yeah. Um, which, are you? I, I was slightly surprised by that, but I don't know, maybe I'm, I was expecting something different. I think, I mean, just from, and we've discussed this, that the, the, the numbers when you look at the advertising system, there's, there's, there's much less than, than last year using it. But I, I think it's people, when they stop using it, they just remove it from their phone and they're, they're not using it anymore or they delete their accounts. Mm-hmm. But actually, for, for those that are still using it, they're, they're, they're using it hugely. They, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any change in that. Or probably They're probably using it even more. Because I see the volume on Facebook like still being very, very large in terms mm. of sharing stuff. Um, but yeah, TikTok is the one that's growing like mad just for for like 13 mm. to 18 year olds. It's probably the, the place of like that, that's where they're going now, that and Snapchat and Instagram to a smaller degree. Mm. Um, but it's there's so many media reports about it now. I think that adults are joining it, and I've, I've, I've talked to people mm. who have joined it because their kids are on it, and they're mm. trying to understand it. They're like, I have no idea what's happening. But I think they're I also seeing because... viral posts on other platforms that were made on TikTok. It's fantastic in that like, it's it's very easy to to download the stuff that you see or that you've created yourself mm. and push it out, and it's got mm. the TikTok branding. And you, in a way, when Snapchat took off first, you could see Snapchat vertical videos going up onto Facebook and going into to Twitter as well. So you knew that it was it was getting bigger. Mm. But Twitter had a, a tool called Vine or an app called Vine that they bought, and it was it was full of very creative people, and it created actually kind of superstars and influencers, you know, with a million followers. And they, they just shut it down. And I think that creativity has probably gone over to TikTok now and, and people are having fun there, especially because teenagers, a lot of it is driven by music and they're big into music. So mm. you can just pull in your music and do videos based on on that. So for completeness sake, I'm going to go through the seven networks uh, that uh, Ipsos MRBI tracked. TikTok at 6%, Reddit at 10%, Pinterest at 27%, Twitter at 30%. LinkedIn at 35%, Instagram at 43%, and Facebook at 66%. Of note there is that by far the smallest daily use of any of those big networks is LinkedIn. So 35% say they have an account. Only 15% say they use it every day, which that sort of seems about right to me. Yeah, um, I think people join LinkedIn a lot of people join it as just another place to, to upload a CV or a variation yeah. of a CV yeah. so they're, they're not using it. But there is a small but very um, mm. large uh, in terms of content pushing bunch of people that are on it and they, mm. they, they spend all their time there. So also the so social social messaging tracker, I'll just list them. They, 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 they named six. They include Tinder for some reason as a social messaging tracker, a social messaging app. 6% although only 8% use it daily, down 3%. So I don't know what that says about the country. It's um, interesting. Viber is still there, believe it or not, 25%, which surprises. Oh, 25% have an account. And 25% say they use it every day. Okay, that's that's surprising to me. It's, um, I guess it's just a lot of these are your friends are on it and that's the way they're communicating mm-hmm. and then you're on it as well. I think the interesting thing in all of these is that it's not just one messaging app. People have like a, like a, a whole screen of messaging apps now and the different people are in different or different types of people mm. are 
friends or family in different ones. Like family for me and friends is is WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. But uh, like I say, more professional stuff is is Twitter for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an eye message then for for others. So Snapchat is at twenty nine percent. Remember, this is among uh, adults, but it has a very high engagement. Fifty seven percent use it every day. Skype is the absolute opposite. It has a terrible engagement rate. Only ten percent. Uh, of people who have it, and 33% of adults have a, a Skype account, but only 10% use it every day. Facebook Messenger, uh, almost two out of three of us have one of those accounts, and almost half of us use it every day. But the monster gorilla in the room, again, is WhatsApp. 79% of us have a WhatsApp account, and 76% use it every day. It's... You, 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 I mean, Facebook did pay about fourteen billion for 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 that. But mm. you'd you'd wonder, is it actually a good investment, given that they pretty much have like nearly everyone that has a phone, not even a smartphone, anyone that has yeah. a, a phone, because even the new Nokia's have have WhatsApp yeah, now. Absolutely, and like it sits on top of all those phones. It's a it's I mean, an it, amazing piece of technology when you think about it. It is the Western world's texting system. You know. It is, but um, yeah, I, th- I think they have 200 million users alone in in India at this stage. Mm. So, um, and when when Facebook bought them, someone did a map of the world where WhatsApp was very strong and where Facebook was very strong, and they actually uh, there was spaces where Facebook wasn't doing very well because you needed a, a good smartphone, mm. and WhatsApp, WhatsApp had all of that market. So. Um, it's 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 interesting in terms of privacy and safety as well. Like, you know. Is that being filtered? Is that going mm-hmm. through, say, an NSA server or what have you? But uh, it's an amazing piece of technology that it, it's it stays working and that there hasn't been really any downtime on on WhatsApp through the years, despite like probably billions of well, I know billions of messages are going through it every hour at this stage. Mm-hmm. But it's it's still there on its way. And it's still something of an island within the Facebook group because even though its founders left uh, a few years after Facebook bought it. The messages are still encrypted, for example. As far as I know, that includes exclusion of being able to to look for hashes, which you can do, I think, in Facebook's iMessage. You, they, they do leave it slightly open for, as far as I know, for hashes, and that's for child abuse material and stuff like that. But it's it's quite an interesting, but that all of which goes points to a system that is still quite resistant to the normal ad forces that Facebook usually brings to bear. Yeah, and I think I think probably before Facebook bought them and when the deal was being done as well, that uh, the founders made it almost impossible for Facebook to actually to, to extract huge amounts of value and, and make any kind of changes to it. They had all these in, so and they couldn't take them away once the, once the, the WhatsApp was bought by Facebook. Mm. I'd say they will eventually. Uh, Damien, there were a couple of other things I wanted to get to you, but I, unfortunately we've run out of time. Um, but thanks very much for coming on the show. No um, Damien Mully, founder of Mully Communications, and you can check out that blog post and others on mully.ie. And that's all we have time for this week, folks. Thanks a million for listening. Please do subscribe if it's the first time you've heard the podcast or like or whatever it is that the engine prompts you to do. But for me, Adrian Wechter, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent, That's all we have time for this week. Bye-bye.